Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The big story that began this week was the trial of Harvey Weinstein, starting in New York. The trial is expected to last about two months and will be a high-profile media spectacle, as many are going to be interested to see if the fallen entertainment mogul can escape any type of punishment. And just as the trial began in New York, there were new charges of sexual assault that were leveled against Weinstein in Los Angeles. For a look at the Harvey Weinstein trial, we spoke to Eric Gardner. He's the senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Weinstein is being charged with sexually assaulting two women. One of the women is known Mimi Hamaye. She's a production assistant who alleges that she was assaulted back in 2005. The other woman's name is not known, and she alleges being raped in 2013. Additionally, there will be other witnesses coming in with their own stories of being assaulted by Weinstein over the years. There are about three or four of those women. We don't know their names or their stories, but the prosecutors hope to use those stories to establish that Weinstein has a pattern in how he uh, approaches women. And a lot of the stuff beforehand was sealed off by the judge, Judge James Burke. So there's a lot of things, as I said, some secrecy surrounding what's going on that we really don't know yet. The judge wants to do a couple of things. First, he wants to preserve the power of having a fair jury trial, doesn't want there to be any mistrial on this. So he sealed off the rulings. Unfortunately, it also means that we can't really scrutinize the basis for a lot of his decisions, like who he's choosing to allow to testify, who he's not. We don't know the name of one of the accusers. We don't know the names of the witnesses. We don't know which evidence has been precluded because it's prejudicial. So there's a a ton of stuff that will be kind of surprises going into this trial. And there might be things that we just never learn about trial. There might be things that aren't said that we don't know aren't being said because they're strategic or because the judge has ruled to allow that into the trial would mean that Weinstein wouldn't get a fair trial. Whatever the verdict will be, there seems to be already some skepticism to whatever is going to play out there. And whether it be because of all the money and the power that Harvey Weinstein had or or whatnot, there's already kind of this looming over it. There's a sense of mistrust. So if, for instance, the verdict is not guilty, will people accept the judge's reasoning? And the second reason it matters is because, you know, a lot of this might go on appeal. So, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the case. The judge has clearly made a decision here that to preserve a fair trial requires secrecy. On the other hand, people are going to report this. Reporters are on this case for two years and they're reporting this. And if there are mistruths, part of the blame for that might have to go to the judge as well, because he's not letting a lot of the information out. So a lot of the misinformation could be attributed partly to the secrecy. I think it's not such a great precedent. I think that's the reason why a lot of media organizations pushed to open up access to some of the pretrial hearings. And it's something to watch as, as this moves forward. Well, what are we going to learn about how, how the judge conducted himself in this case? And you're talking about, you know, that need for this fair and impartial trial that kind of played out in what happened on Monday a little bit, where the judge was talking to the defense attorney saying, hey, you know, you did this interview on CNN. Do not disparage any of the witnesses. You know, it's going to be hard enough to get a fair and impartial jury as it is. We don't need you going about this that way, because I guess the prosecution was trying to get some type of broad gag order and the judge 
didn't really go for that, but did give a warning to the defense at least, hey, do not talk about any of these witnesses. Judges are always leery about some of the comments that come outside the courtroom. So that's not not such a surprise. From Weinstein's perspective, his point has been there's been a lot of bad stuff put out there in the press. And Weinstein's lawyers just want an opportunity to rebut it and to push across their story. And so they don't think it's fair if they have to remain silent while there's all this reporting out there about him as a monster. And from their perspective, they can't get a fair trial if they're gagged. And the judge has a lot of discretion. He can do things as he wishes. As he's been playing out this trial, clearly the decision he's made is to try to keep this as tightly lit as possible. And now this is all going to spill out is kind of unusual. This is a very high profile case, yet the ratio of things we don't know to things we do know is quite high compared to the the typical high profile trial. And it's going to be a huge media spectacle. I mean, the jury selection is supposed to be about two weeks. The whole trial, I guess they say something around six weeks as this was getting underway in Los Angeles. There was two new charges against Harvey Weinstein. There was a little bit of counter-programming from uh, Rose McGowan. Uh, They had like a press conference as the uh, trial was starting. So this is going to be a huge media spectacle as well. Some of the stuff that's happening outside the courtroom is a little more interesting right now than what's happening inside the New York courtroom. The first week in the Harvey Weinstein trial could be quite boring. Just jurors saying whether they can commit to a six-week trial uh, and a lot of jur- prospective jurors will take themselves out of the pool because they you know, have jobs and they can't do that. But you look at what happened today and new charges being announced in Los Angeles. That was alluded to at today's hearing. I think that there might be a push soon about whether or not some of the media spectacles that are happening outside is going to taint what's happening inside. So if there's any news to come in the next week, I think it's going to be motions based on a lot of the noise that's happening outside the courtroom. Eric Gardner, senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. There's been an interesting story developing in eastern Colorado that's causing concern and curiosity. There's been a lot of reports that surfaced about mysterious drones flying in formation in the night sky, hundreds of feet in the air over the eastern plains. Local officials don't know who is operating them, and several government agencies have denied any involvement. But The FAA is investigating. For more on these mysterious drone sightings, we spoke to Sam Tabachnik. He's a reporter at the Denver Post. It basically started a couple days before Christmas. We heard reports really from a uh, Facebook post from a local county in eastern Colorado, and they posted this bizarre cryptic Facebook post saying that people in the area had seen some drones, they had heard their concerns, and that they were trying to figure out what was going on, but they really didn't know. So that kind of piqued our interest at the Denver Post, and uh, my colleague Shelley Bradbury wrote up the first story uh, on about December 23rd, and it's really been a mystery ever since and been kind of snowballing. You know, it gets picked up by all the national outlets, people still have no idea what's going on. And it's been, you know, a couple weeks. So you've had a chance to see these drones. Describe them to us because they seem to be more kind of like military style drones. I guess you can say they have like a six foot wingspan. They're not these quadcopter type drones. 
So I, I went out to Lincoln County, Colorado on Thursday night with one of our photographers. And we uh, started seeing them about 6 p.m. And they fly really high. You know, they're about uh, 400, 500 feet in the air. Um, so these are not just like hovering over your car. They're really pretty high up there. And so as it's dark, it's harder to see. But they have kind of a similar blinking patterns. You know, they got a red light, a white light, some lights that stay on. And, you know, a bit of a kind of audible whir, uh, you know, as they go over your car or where you're standing. And they just kind of crisscross the sky for several hours. You know, they go from about six o'clock to about 10 o'clock at night. And they're going across this wide swath of Northeast Colorado and Western Nebraska. Counties have reported it out there. And when you're looking up at the sky, I mean, it is hard to see. You know, they talk about these as six foot. They could be $50,000 to $100,000 drones. So I think it'd be tough for your local hobbyist to be flying these things. Plus, there are about 30 of them, which makes it even less likely that it's just some kid in his basement with a joystick. So they are pretty high up. They're probably not violating any type of local Colorado law, but... The FAA is looking into it because maybe they're flying high enough to be intruding on some type of airspace. Is that correct? So it's still hard to know exactly because there are lots of different requirements, but there are also some waivers you can get in terms of what time you're flying. So usually you're not allowed to fly after dark, but there are some waivers you can get. But since we don't know who they are and who's up there, it has been hard to figure out exactly what laws they're breaking. But maybe the FAA will figure that out soon and then we'll know. I know there's like a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding this. One thing I saw that it could be a secretive Air Force program that's intended to keep eyes away from nuclear missile silos. What have you been hearing? Any crazy stories that you've been hearing? Everybody's got their own theories. You know, we talked to people in town the other day uh, in Hugo, Colorado, you know, and one woman thought, you know, maybe they're uh, dropping drugs. They're part of some (laughs) cartel operation. We've heard aliens, of course, and then less fun ones like mapping and geospatial kind of things. (laughs) But, you know, everybody, you know, some people think it's the government spying on them or they're coming to take away their guns. Yeah, I mean, there's everything. I've gotten more emails about this than any other story I've ever written in my life. So local residents, from my understanding, aren't necessarily too concerned. I think someone said, well, you just kind of live with it now. Tip your hat whenever you see the drone in case they're taking a picture. What about local officials? I know they're just as perplexed, but what are they saying with regards to this? Today, there was a big meeting between a lot of local agencies and the FAA, and they met in eastern Colorado just this morning, actually. And, you know, they're just trying to come together, share information, trying to figure out patterns. From what I've heard, we still don't know too much about it, but I think everyone's just trying to coordinate. The local sheriff, they don't like that they're concerned residents, and that's sort of the thing that they come back to is like, if people keep thinking that there's something going on, it's not really great for public safety. You know, they just don't like having their constituents a little concerned. One of the uh, local sheriffs, you know, said a bit of a concern is that, you know, they have a helicopter that flies that does medevacs from the local uh, regional airport, and so they're a little concerned. Could they strike one of these drones during one of these medevacs? So I think it's more like they do want to know at this point. I mean, they'd rather not have it in their county. You had a chance to see them. I mean, any personal thoughts on it? I think the consensus is that it probably is either military or or some sort of mapping is what the experts say. But everyone is guessing. I think the amount of money and the amount of drones themselves, I think, lends itself to either military or some sort of company that has the resources. And they are flying in these grid-like patterns, which I think people uh, associate with some sort of mapping. But there are still so many questions about why at night, why this many, why haven't they made themselves known? And so uh, I think whenever you come to something that seems to make sense a little bit, there are a thousand questions that could disqualify it. Sam Tabachnik, reporter at the Denver Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. 
Finally, for this week, we take a look at some of the newest tech coming out of CES 2020. Sony has developed a concept car, and the idea of ambient technology and AI took off. AI is being put everywhere, and everything we use from our devices to our toilets will be connected and learn more about you. Samsung even unveiled a project called Neon, which it is saying are artificial humans, AI that you can talk and interact with and looks like a real person. And as usual, there's also a bunch of other fun gadgets and things at the show. For more on what's been going on at CES 2020, we spoke to Stan Horacek. He's a technology editor at Popular Science. There's actually been a couple of pretty big announcements here that kind of came out of nowhere. We tend to go into CES with like some expectations. So when you get surprised, that's really when you sort of feel, um, you know, impressed. And Sony introduced a concept uh car, which is not something Sony usually does. Sony's, right. you know, press conference is usually about Walkman and headphones, and it used to be about cameras and stuff like that. And this year, they, you know, it's about very big concepts, including a, a self-driving concept car. Um, and that was really fascinating. And then just on a grander scale, people are talking very much about this idea of ambient technology and AI. Um, and, you know, LG and, and Panasonic and Samsung they're all very dedicated to this idea that everything in your house will soon be connected and it'll just work and it'll learn about you while it's working. And I think that's sort of been the thing that's been most interesting to me while I've been here. We're talking about AI. One of the things that was really interesting that kind of just came up on my feeds was this thing from Samsung. It's called their project neon. They're not AI assistants. They're calling them like artificial humans and they're artificial humans. Yeah. tell, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, if you walk by the neon booth and uh, you know where where they have it set up, um, it, it's it's really amazing. They have all these life size screens, and there are these people on them, and the people are sort of artificially generated, and they they look real, like it looks like a video of a person, but you can interact with it, and it'll you know it's it's pulling from this image data of these people, and then it, it's essentially making a digital version of them. And, there's not really a chance to sort of get in depth with it here at the show. So right now it's just these little snippets of having these very surreal conversations with people who don't necessarily exist in the way that you're reacting with them. It's like taking digital avatars. Remember when you made those like we, uh, we people or yeah. like Xbox avatar, yeah. it's like the, that times a thousand. It's very, it's very odd. And, um, it's kind of cool, but it's one of those things where I, I genuinely don't generally don't like when people say like, Ooh, tech is creepy, but like this one, is a little crazy. <laughs> now, from everything that I was reading, people were really unsure what this was because they specifically said it's not an AI assistant. You're not going to go to it and ask what the weather is or traffic conditions or something like that. It's almost kind of like an AI companion or something, just somebody to talk to or connect to. That, to me, is sort of the gen- the the end goal of all this, where like, your home is going to be watching you, right? You're going to have sensors in your home. So on a much more basic scale, I don't know if you've watched the Samsung presentation, but they introduced something called Bali, which is like this little cantaloupe-sized robot that like rolls around inside your house and literally uses object or computer vision, which is like object recognition with a camera, to sort of understand what you're doing, who's in your house, what's going on. So it can tell, for instance, like it knows if you're watering a plant. So if you have on your to-do list, water the plants, it'll be like, oh, you watered the plants, and I'll check that. Or it can do things like it can watch you drink the last of the orange juice and throw it in the trash. 
and then say like, oh, we need to buy more orange juice and maybe buy it. That's the kind of sensor technology that's going to be in your house. And, you know, down the road, we have to start thinking about how are we going to interact with that? Like, how is that going to show up to us? And these things like digital humans and, and stuff like that, you know, the two aren't in the same arena right now, but you have to think down the road that they're going to collide. You know, you're going to have this digital entity, you know, Tony Stark and Jarvis. Tell us about some of the other fun, quirky gadgets, things that you might've seen out there also. Sure. One of the things that uh, I saw, there's a, there's a a product out here called Kuba, Q-O-O-B-A, which is like a, uh, it's like essentially a motorized pillow with like a tail that wags. Um, And it looks kind of like a cat with no limbs or head or anything like that. It's very, it's very odd. It's very like uh, Cronenberg-y. <laughs> um, but once you start talking about it, it's actually interesting because the idea is some people want a pet, but they can't feed it. They can't physically take care of it. They just want like the, the, the best part of having a pet is petting it, you know, and like this can offer it. And I think there's a lot of these really cool like little things that I are seeing at CES that are flying under the radar that like make me feel like old school gadget. For instance, there's a company called Celestron. They make pretty much every consumer telescope that you could ever possibly want. And this year at CES, they're showing off two telescopes. One is $200, one is $400, which is very cheap. But they have this mount with a mirror on it that lets your smartphone camera see the night sky. And then the smartphone app actually guides you along to find the things in the sky oh, with your cool. like calibrated telescope. Yeah, and it's this thing where you're getting a telescope for $200 and you're getting this really advanced functionality, but you're using like the phone. So you're not paying for it because there are other systems that do that, like that are like motorized and computer guided, but they cost thousands of dollars. And I, I love when companies say like, well, look at all this potential you have in this device in your pocket and we can really take advantage of it really simply. And then it turns out like a video game. You just find the star you're looking for and then you, you look at it. So I was really impressed by that as well. Yeah, that's cool. And one of the other ones that I just want to give a quick mention that I feel like could be a lot of fun is this one thing called Prinker, which takes graphics from a smartphone <laughs> and then you can print it onto your skin like, a, you know, a little temporary tattoo thing. It lasts yeah. for a few days and comes off in the shower easily. But that one seems like a lot of fun. It's about two seventy nine, so it's a little expensive. But I mean, I could just see kids having a field day with something like that. We all remember getting, you know, temporary tattoos and cracker jack boxes and and beyond that. But <laughs> this kind of seems like definitely that gadget, that upgrade of that version. Oh, for sure. And you know that whole idea of like that technology has come a long way. So even if you buy that thing and then you end up like doing temporary tattoos like at your little league games or something, you know, um, it could be really cool. And like when you, you select the graphic and then the thing is the actual printer itself is roughly the size of like a, I don't know, a big sandwich, I guess. And then you just run it across your, uh, your arm or your skin and it just shows up there. It's like a really cool whiz bang experience. We're seeing a lot of that now with like uh, cosmetics, like it uses cosmetics grade ink. Um, and so there are other companies who are using the same thing to just like literally almost print makeup on or print, um, you know, foundation over people who want to even out their skin. Um, so it's really fascinating to see the way that, you know, they're, they're looking at what people do and trying to, you know, make it more efficient, which is cool. Stan Horacek, technology editor for Popular Science. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.